how many of you guys have known me or have seen me around? A few of you guys. Okay, well, for those that haven't, um, I'm originally from Texas in the U.S. I was born into a Southern Baptist tradition with my grandmother and grandparents. My grandmother played the, the piano and the organ in the church for, man, like 60 years or even maybe 70. It was a long time. Uh, she just passed away a couple of years ago. And my granddad led the singing. And so I grew up in that environment. And one of the things that I really loved that I, I gleaned from my Baptist upbringing was the, um, the truth of the Word of God. And, and that really sunk in deep to me as a little kid. My gran- I used to go visit my grandma and she would, um, those of you that are old enough, you remember records. And she had these little records that you would play and they had stories of Elijah and Samson and I used to love to listen to where Elijah would go and um, compete with the prophets of Baal and call down fire. And I just thought, man, I want to see that stuff. I want to see that stuff. And so, um, as some of you know, I, I don't know what, I don't know exactly what the Baptists are like here in Australia. You're, you're probably the only Baptist I know. But, um, but in, in America, in America, the the Baptist would say verbally, you know, we believe in the infallibility of the Word of God and it's, it's all true. But when it comes to practice, well, you guys know the story. There's a lot of churches that don't necessarily believe in the gifts of the Spirit, etc., etc. And so that's what I experienced. But because I had had that, that seed planted that this is the infallible Word of God, I kept reading all these stories and I thought, man, you know, these guys are talking like this is supposed to keep going on. You know, generation after generation, year after year. And, and I thought, man, if it's real, I want to see it. I want to see it. And eventually um, got into uni over at, uh, back home and got involved in a vineyard church. And previously to that, had, um, had a Pentecostal nanny for a while. And she would pray with me and um, pray in the Spirit. And, and I used to feel God's presence in the room. I used to feel God's power. Something was tangibly different when she prayed. And it just, I knew that God was real. I knew that, you know, he was up to something and that that there was more. There was more, there was more. So from that, went to uni, met some of the vineyard guys. And it was like, wow, you know, here's some people that are really trying to live out what the scriptures say, you know, trying to live from the book of Acts and live out the teachings of Jesus. And, And at that time, I began praying for people and doing a bit of ministry training with them. And we're going we're gonna to come, we're going to pause right at that point in the story, and I'm going to jump back to it in a minute. But I was just listening to some of the words that were being shared today, and uh, Ray had a, an ex- exhortive word, you know, the Lord's exhorting us to enter into worship. Um, the other sister that came up had a word, the Lord's exhorting us to operate in humbleness and humility so that we draw those who have left back into the fold. And, and then the other brother had the word about the Holy Spirit's presence moving here right now, today. And, we, you know, those of us that were conscious of what he was doing in worship, he was here. He, and he is here. You know, he's omnipresent. But he was manifesting his presence in a particular way. And I just felt some of those words really sort of sat with what I had on my heart to share with you guys. And... If you want to turn with me to um, Matthew chapter 11, we're just going to read a bit of this chapter. Matthew 
because I think it ties in with what with some of the um, the words that came forward. The kingdom of God advances violently, and the violent take it by force. All right, so just starting at Matthew 11, verse 1, after Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John heard in prison what Christ was doing, he sent his disciples to him and asked, are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, go back. And report to John what you see and hear. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the desert to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. I tell you the truth. Among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. For from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing, or some translations say suffers violence, and the forceful lay hold of it. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And in Luke, there's a parallel of this same particular scripture. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence or advances violently, and the violent take it by force. In Luke's gospel, it's in slightly a different context. But interestingly, it's the only two places in the New Testament where the same word is used for um, forcefully advancing. Um, and those of you that know a bit of Greek, biazome, if I pronounce that wrong, forgive me, but you can look it up later. But in Luke's gospel, Luke 16, 16, it says, The law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. Since that time, the gospel of the kingdom has been preached, and everyone is forcing his way into it. And if you go back and read in the context of Luke 16, he's talking about the prostitutes and the tax collectors, the undesirables, as are over in Fiji and have founded their own church. So the Lord's door is open. But the thing I felt to bring out to you guys about this is that um, this word, biadzomai, um, means properly to use power to forcibly seize, laying hold of something with positive aggressiveness to advance forcefully is only used twice. And as I mentioned, Matthew eleven twelve, Luke 16. When I came into Vineyard and we began to pray for the sick, I didn't see a lot happen. And I was in probably my early 20s, maybe 19, 20, 21, somewhere in there. And I got a bit discouraged, but I kept going. 
And I don't think I saw anything happen at that time. But I did, I did get some prophetic words, and I did see the Lord begin to fall on people with power. And, and stuff was happening. Things were happening. But I, I, I didn't quite get the understanding of, of what to do with it. Where, Lord, where do we take this? How do we, how do we keep going with it? But part of it lay in me understanding that the kingdom of God advances forcefully and that we, it, it can't be a passive thing that we think, ah, oh, it's just going to happen. It's just going to fall in my lap. Jesus is saying, you actually have to press in to lay hold of this. You know, Jesus said that he came and he bound the strong man up so that we could plunder his kingdom. But we have to actually go and act on that plundering. You know, we've got to do it. Um, it's not enough just to say, oh, Jesus did it from there. We've got to use the authority, the power that he's given us and go for it. And so in my early days, you know, I'd be at work and somebody would say, oh, I've got a sore wrist. I'd say, oh, can I pray for you? And I'd pray. Nothing would happen. I'd get discouraged. And that went on for a while. And then got over here and, and the Lord began to do some things. And part of it came out of understanding the authority that we've been given as sons and daughters. Like if, if you're going to forcefully advance the kingdom of God, you've got to understand who you are. You've got to understand that, that you're actually a co-heir with Christ. You've actually been commissioned just like the early disciples have. You know, in Matthew 10.1, it says that Jesus gave them authority to lay hands on the sick and to heal every disease and sickness. In um, Luke 10.19, it says that he gave the disciples authority over all the power of the enemy. And if you know Matthew 28, it says, teach them the subsequent disciples, the ones who are going to become disciples after you guys, after the 12, teach them to obey everything I've commanded you, the original 12. So that message is for all of us, and that authority is for all of us. And I wanted to talk to you guys just about what that looks like in the context of a a local meeting, and also in your private life as well. And at that point, I'll pick up a little bit of my story. But in the context of a local meeting like this, um, there's some fundamental things that I've noticed tend to be in place in a meeting where stuff happens, where healings happen, where prophecy happens with power. And... A few years ago, I was praying at the vineyard and on the prayer team there, and, and we would see the Lord come often and, and move on people, but there were a number of people that weren't quite receiving their healing or their breakthrough. And I, I spoke to the worship leader, and I said, her name's, for those of you that know, Di Hocking, I said, Di, why is it that we're seeing the Lord come in power, but we're not seeing the breakthrough? What's going on? What's going on? And over the years, I began to ask the Lord, you know, God, why is it that when we go to conferences, we see amazing things happen, and then we get back home and, and you know, something's different. What's going on? And I felt like the Lord began to reveal some basic principles to me over time. And I, I want to share those with you. And for those of you that know about Overflow and the meeting that we run up there, these are some of the foundational things that we put in place from the very beginning. And now, thanks be to God, we're seeing 
lots of things happen. We're seeing healing happen, happening regularly. We're seeing people delivered regularly. Um, transformation happening regularly. And I just want to share some of these things with you um, quickly, if I can. So I, I, I looked at the conference model and I thought, what is it? What is it about that that's different to, say, a Sunday morning? And normally what happens at a conference is you've got some gifted speaker and they're known. They're known for doing something. So as soon as you hear that so-and-so is coming to town, immediately you've got faith because you think, oh, well, Bill Johnson's coming. I know that at his meeting there's going to be healing. Or, or maybe there's, you know, Ken or, or whoever. You know, you name your, pick your mighty man or woman of God. You know, you've, you've heard their reputation you know, you've heard in the past, oh, well, they've healed so-and-so or they've, they've, they've taught whatever and the, the room was filled with glory or whatever it may be. And so you go with this faith that if I go to that meeting, something is going to happen. So already there's faith stirred up in your heart for that, you know, particular meeting, that man or woman of God. And what I noticed is that the first principle is unity. There's unity of agreement. People come with an agreement that, or an expectation that we're going to meet with God when we go to this this thing, this event, whatever it is. And if you want some scriptures for unity, I'll just read some out quickly to you. Um, when two or three gather in my name, there I am. That's the foundational one. Jesus told us that. I love this one from Genesis 11.6. If as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. And you guys know that's from the Tower of Babel. They were building the Tower of Babel, and they were doing it in an unrighteous way. But imagine if God's saying that unrighteous people can, can, can achieve such a height and nothing will be impossible for them. Imagine what if righteous people get in unity. You know, what if people who are sold out to Jesus get in unity? Man, nothing can stop us. Psalm 86.11, give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. And related to that is the one in um, James. I can't remember the address at the moment, but it's just coming to me where he says, um, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. But the implication is that if your mind is in unity, you are stable. You can achieve great things. All right, and finally, Ephesians 4.11. So Christ himself gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach, what? Unity. Unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So unity is a big deal from God's point of view. All right, the other thing I mentioned was expectation. And if you want to translate the word expectation into a biblical term, faith. Faith. Faith can simply be expectation, that God's going to do something. People come to events or conferences expecting that something will happen based on the, the reputation and we've got a, an interesting example of this in Acts 3.5. And this is where, um, you know, Peter and John walked up to the crippled man who was at the, at the temple. And it says his eyes were fixed on them, and he expected to receive something. Do you remember that? 
He expected to receive something. And then they said to him, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word. All right, so unity, expectation. All right, the th- one of the third things is operation in the gifts. You know, often when we go to these meetings, we're expecting that either the, the great man or woman of God is going to move in their giftedness, or we expect that we're going to go and we're going to take part somehow or another. And so um, willingness to act on the impressions of the Holy Spirit, to expect um, that the Spirit will move in power and to actually yield yourself to that. All right, number four is sacrifice. Oftentimes people will sacrifice time, energy, and money to get to something that they value, something they feel is important, you know? And that, that makes a difference in the atmosphere. Remember King David, when he wanted to offer an offering at the threshing floor of Aruana, he wanted to buy it from him. And Aruana said, no, I'll give it to you for free. You can sacrifice, just take it. And David said, no, I'm not going to give the Lord something that costs me nothing. You know, Jesus said, count the cost. Count the cost. It's going to cost you something to follow Jesus. All right, and the fifth thing, and the final thing on my little list, you know, you could sit down and analyze it, and you could probably come up with 12 other items. But these are the at least the five biggies that I've noticed that in every meeting where I see these things, stuff is happening. All right, number five is surrender or repentance. The people have their will, surrender to God. And it seems when people have come to the point of surrender, they're ready to say like Jesus did, not my will, but yours be done. And remember, you know, Jesus said, when, after he, he had done a miracle and the Pharisees got on to him for healing on the Sabbath, and he said, I can only do what I see the Father doing. He was, and some people have used that as an excuse not to pray. They'll say, oh, well, you know, I only do what I see the Father doing. I'm not going to pray right now. I'll wait till the Father shows me. But Jesus had just healed somebody, and he was giving an apologetic for why he has to heal. He's saying, I'm bound over to this. My will is totally bound over to the will of the Father. The will of the Father is to heal this crippled guy on the Sabbath. I'm, I'm bound over to this. I can't do anything else. I can only do what I see the Father doing. I love that. And what I've noticed over time as we've been running these meetings up in Lilydale that I've been a part of is that the people that I see that are getting free, that are getting healed, that are staying transformed are the people that have come to that place of repentance, that have come to that place where they've said, no longer my will, but your will be done. Lord, do anything in me that you want to do. Lord, I'll give you everything. I'll give you anything. I'll give up anything. And man, God meets those people. And, and I'm sure, you know, you've seen that too in your years of ministry, Mark and Cheryl. And we've certainly seen it up there. All right. So that's corporately. You know, if you can, if you can develop a culture where you expect that God will move, that God will meet with you, and you can develop a culture where you're expecting to participate, and this is part of what, um, what Ray was sharing, what his word was coming from. You know, if you come with that expectation, God, I'm going to, to worship today at Catalyst. Lord, would you show me what you want me to do? Would you speak to me? Would you give me a word for somebody? Would you give me a song? 
Or, or maybe, Lord, what do you want me to receive from you today? Lord, open my heart and speak to me. Show me what you, you want to tell me today. You know, if, if everybody comes with that attitude that you're actually going to meet with the living Jesus, stuff changes. Things happen. And that's what Jesus said. You know, whenever two or three or more gathered in my midst, there I am. There I am in your midst. All right. And look, it's a challenge. You know, from time to time, you get people that come in that are fired up and they're ready to go. And they've had encounters with God and they bring that into your fellowship or they bring that into your meeting. And they rub off on other people. And they're contagious. And I've got a friend back there. I'm going to embarrass you. Jeff, just put up your hand. This guy is a contagious lover of God. Every time I get around him, I just smile. And I just, you know, he just makes me, just his presence makes me want to just go for God even harder. And, and this is a guy who is, he's out on the street. He's sharing Jesus everywhere he goes. And when I get around people like that, I get exhorted. I get fired up. Oh, come on, let's do this. This is for real. Let's go. And, and when you get those guys coming in, they'll help fire you up. I remember years ago, I was listening to um, some early vineyard teaching on worship, and they used to talk about spark plugs in the congregation. And, and, and this is another thing that um, ties into what Ray was saying. You know, you've got some people in here that, man, you guys are spark plugs, and I want to encourage you, those of you here that are passionate worshipers, man, let it rub off on the guys around you. Get into it. Go for it. And what's coming out of your heart will pour into the others around you. Yeah. All right. So that's, that's something that can happen corporately. Um, so come with an expectation, surrender, repentance as, an, as a way of life, as an attitude, and expecting to operate in the Holy Spirit, expecting Him to move, expecting Him to be here, and expecting to work with Him. All right, so in private. And now it comes back to my story. So, so I had gotten into the vineyard in my uni days, had begun to pray for some people, the power of God was touching a few people, but nothing seemed to be happening, at least that I was aware of. I did have one lady that I went to a conference, prayed for, just like a 30-second prayer. And I, she had some phenomenal condition, and she goes, I'm healed. And I said, really? Okay. All right, well, go and get it checked out. Because <laughs> I thought, man, that was too easy. It's got to be more to it than that. It's got to be harder than that. <laughs> Anyway, so had that experience, went back to Texas, came back over here, uh, went through some personal struggles, and then during that time, it was like it was like all this impartation had kind of got sucked out of me, and and I kind of withdrew, and I thought, ah, oh, I don't know if I want to reach out and risk praying for somebody's healing, and I had prayed for a lady who. Um, her and her husband went to the doctor and the, the baby was developing and the, the, doctor, the ultrasound showed that there was a hole in the cranium. And so we prayed and prayed and prayed that the cranium would close up. And sadly, it didn't. Uh, but the lady decided to go ahead and have the baby. So they had the baby and it lived for a little while and then it passed away. And I just, I just thought, man, you know, what do I need to do? What's going on? But I thought, you know, that baby got to experience something that if she had followed the doctor's advice, it would never have gotten to be held by its mum. 
you know, I want to see more. I want to see God come with power. I want to see the, the apostolic breakthroughs. I want to see what, what happened in the New Testament happen right here in Melbourne right now. And I'm really pleased to say that, you know, even though I went through that time where I pulled back and I prayed and I didn't see stuff happen, God put something in me to persevere. And this is the other word for you guys today, particularly, persevere. Because God kept drawing me back to himself. And eventually, one day this girl comes up to me. This is during a worship service at Vineyard. And she made herself available to the Holy Spirit. And she comes up and she prophesies. Doesn't know me from a bar soap. And she says, Russell, Jesus is going to restore what's been lost and everything that you learned in the past, he's going to bring it back and, and this time it's not going to be stolen. And man, it just hit me like a ton of bricks. And since that time, we've been seeing God heal on a regular basis. And some healings are, have been a lot more dramatic than others. We had a guy that hobbled into a meeting one night um, had his leg bandaged up. I had uh, Facebooked him the day before. I knew this guy. I knew it was a, le- a legitimate injury. And he hobbled into the meeting. Um, all of his friends saw him. We're praying for him up at the, the end of the night about some unrelated stuff. And then he says, can you pray for my ankle? We said, yeah, sure. Now, the power of God was already touching him a bit. He was kind of swaying and you know doing whatever people do sometimes under the power of God. But he sits down on the floor. We start praying for his ankle. And nothing's happening. You know, we're praying everything we can think of. You know, commanding the pain to come out, blessing the ankle, you name it. We were throwing the racket at it. Now, and this is, now what I'm about to share with you shows the importance of, of prophecy and looking for what's, what God is doing in the meeting. Now, that night during the meeting, we had said, like we always do, you know, does anybody have any words? Come up and share it. And this guy gets up and he goes, I feel like the Lord's saying there's a pool right in that spot in the carpet at the front of the room. And it was one of those words where you kind of think, oh, yeah, okay, there's a pool up there. All right. You know, God, what do we do with that? So we just moved on, you know. But then the ministry time comes, and we're praying for this guy with this um, bandaged up ankle who can't walk on it. We're praying everything we can think of. And the guy praying with me goes, Russell, put your hand in the pool. Get some water from the pool. I said, okay. <laughs> so, so I reach over to the pool and I make this scooping motion and I'm putting my hand in the pool and onto his leg and all of a sudden his leg just starts going like this. Like for five minutes, he's just shaking like he's been plugged into 110,000 volts of electricity. And, and I'm looking at him and I'm going, man, what's happening? What's happening? And he's not saying a word. And, I'm, and I've said it like three times. What's happening? Man, tell me what's happening. He's nothing. He's just watching his foot. He's watching his foot go like this. Eventually, after about five minutes, it calms down. And, and he, kind of, he was still just kind of stunned looking at it. And I said, what's happening? And he still wouldn't answer me. He just reaches straight down to the ankle, unbandages it, and he starts flopping his foot around like this. And I thought, man, either this guy is healed or he's going to be in a lot of pain. <laughs> so... <laughs> and so I asked him again after he had done that I said what's happened what's happened and he goes it's gone it's gone the pain's gone 
And I said, well, we'll stand up on it. So he stands up kind of tenderly. He puts a little weight on it. And he's got this kind of stunned, surprised look on his face, you know. And I go, well, we'll walk from here to there. So he walks to the back of the church and back forward and puts a bit of weight on it. And he's fine. And, and he walks out that night without the bandage, totally healed. And that was one of those, you know, just right in front of your face, no doubt about it. And I thought, okay, I'm going to follow this up. Because I, I like to follow these things up because I think, man, well, you know, if it's a real healing, I want to know about it because that's a testimony, you know. So anyway, I, I, t- I um, Facebooked this guy the next day. I said, how's your ankle? He said, well, I was back at footy training tonight. So praise God. So I guess part of what I want to say in that is, you know, you, some of you guys have heard about healing and about God moving for a long time. And some of you have gotten discouraged. Some of you have had a similar story to me where you've prayed for people, things haven't happened. But I want to encourage you today, persevere. The kingdom of God is forcefully advancing and the forceful lay hold of it. And part of forcefulness is understanding you're a son of God. You have the authority to do these things. And the other part is persevere. Persevere. Do not give up. And I guarantee you, and somebody said this to me a long time ago, and I thought, Hmm, okay. But I'm going to tell you the same thing because I believe it with all my heart. I heard this guy say, if you pursue God long enough, you will see miracles. You will see these things happen. And I believe that. And I'm, I'm living testimony to that fact. And I want to encourage you today that if you press in, if you persevere, you will see God move miraculously. Now, on a personal private level, there's a couple of other things that go with that. I'll just read these out quickly and, and we'll close with that. But you want to cultivate a relationship of intimacy and obedience in private. You know, Jesus said, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, then you can ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. And if you keep reading in that same passage, he clarifies what it means to remain in him. And it means, he says, to obey. If you obey, you remain in my love. And it's not as though these things are about works, but, but there is a dynamic relationship that we have with the Lord that can be hindered if we choose to live in disobedience. And I'll, I'll tell you a quick story. There was a guy in um, California who was part of the early vineyard movement, had an incredible gift of healing. Now, at one stage, unbeknownst to anyone, he got involved in some adulterous relationships. But he kept on praying for people, and people were still getting healed. However, eventually it all came out, and he got, you know, asked to step down. So, sooner or later, rebellion or sin will eventually hinder your ministry. So, you know, that, that's a biggie. Remain in the teaching of Jesus. Remain in a lifestyle of obedience to him. Um, also, you know, Paul says, particularly to husbands, you know, treat your wives with respect so that nothing may hinder your prayers. So there is that aspect. Also, you know, the Scripture says the Holy Spirit can be grieved. You know, we don't want to grieve the Spirit, but live in obedience. Okay, on the other personal thing is um, offer to pray for people. You know, keep taking those risks. Keep taking those risks. And, and you guys that are familiar with Vineyard, um, John Wimber a long time ago said risk. Now I've messed it up. Faith is spelled R-I-S-K, risk. Anyway, so take those risks. And that's what happened to me. You know, I just kept risking and kept risking, and eventually you'll see the Lord move. Um, 
And I wanted to give you a little strategy. You know, some of us have different levels of gifts of healing, and that's okay. Because I think one of the things that I've seen that's put a burden on people over the years of um, some of the healing teaching that's come out is that it almost creates an expectation that all of us are equal in these things, and that's not the case. And you need to be released from that burden of having to be like, you know, whoever a great healer, you know. But it doesn't mean that you that God won't use you. Just keep persevering. And one of the things that I've found is you can pray for people and just simply say, look, can I pray for you for healing? I'm a Christian, and I've seen God heal people, and I can't guarantee what God's going to do for you right now, but would you let me pray and we'll just see what happens? You know, the Holy Spirit is not, um, he's not daunted by that kind of prayer. He's okay with that. You're, you're allowed as a Christian not to know everything. You know, Paul said, I, I prophesy in part and I know in part. And the same is true in healing. It's okay to just to not know what will happen and to just offer to pray. God will honor that. All right, on a personal level, be willing to commit to discipling new believers. Like if you're out in the world evangelizing, be willing to, to take them on and, and put, take them under your wing. Make an effort to spend some time with them, follow them up. Get them plugged into a, a local fellowship where they can get prayer and more discipling. One of the things you might find is that, um, you know, the Lord may give you a word for somebody at school or in the workplace. And some people are going to be freaked out if you say to them, God says, or, you know, the Lord is saying, or the Holy Spirit showing me. And you can simply say to them something like, you know, um, Jennifer, I can see you in a few years like doing admin type work. Is that something you've been interested in? And she goes, oh, yeah, yeah, I have. I've been thinking about that. You know, you can deliver prophetic words in that kind of way. And eventually, you know, if she asks the question, well, how did you know that? What made you think of that? Well, you know, I'm a Christian, and, and, I, and God shows me stuff sometimes. Would you like to know more? <laughs> and there's your open doorway. And the other thing, particularly with prophecy or words of knowledge, is if you're wrong, be humble. Um, we were in McDonald's recently, um, myself and, and Noah and some other guys, and I really felt to give this word to this girl behind the counter. And so I went up to her, and I can't remember how I phrased it. I think I said something to her like, you know, sometimes I get impressions about people. Can I, can I share with you this impression? And she goes, yeah, okay. And so I said to her something about, you know, I think... I think you're studying and, and you, you're, you're training for something and, and you've been through a relationship breakup. And she looks at me and she goes, well, the studying part was right. I said, okay. And I didn't know what else to say after that. And then thankfully I had two friends there and they got some prophetic words for this girl as well. And at the end of it, I said to her, you know, these things are happening because Jesus loves you. He wants you to know that he cares about what's in your heart. And that was it. You know, that was, that was a witness to her. And some of the words were just dead on, spot on accurate. And there's no way that, you know, any of us could have known some of that. So I would encourage you, you know, take those opportunities. All right. And with that,
will close. You've got to take the kingdom by force. You've got to take it by force in your meetings. You've got to take it by force on your own in private because it's not going to be handed over to you. There, it, we have an enemy who's resisting everything we do and we have to actively go against what he's doing. 